Hello everyone, welcome back to the New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana and today we're here with Kate Kretzinger of K8 for Wellness. How's Hi it going? Chris, good. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get into it. Let's talk about you and uh, what is it, being a nutrition coach. Yeah, so a lot of people are like, what does a nutrition coach have to do with this? And I'm a little different than a nutritionist and a dietitian. Um, and I can get into that, but if you want to know a little bit about me first, because yeah. I know that was part of that. Um, you know, usually when we get into this kind of field, we all have our own story, and it's either someone that's close to us or ourselves. And in, in this case, it's me. And usually when we, ha when we enter these, um, I guess you can call it integrative types of therapies, um, other than the mainstream medicine, it's because, um, you know, we've had some a close call, and I did. I probably shouldn't be here to be talking about it right now, but um, I have my husband to thank for that <laughs> on many occasions. Yeah. <laughs> but it all started, um, if I, I think about it now, it, it was probably back in my 20s, and a lot of it stems from nutrition and the way we grow up and the things that we're exposed to. And I was one of those kids that was always sick and I was always on medications. And what we know now with antibiotics and what happens, it just totally disrupts our gut and yeah. everything that's going on in our gut. And that's basically what happened. And I was never really diagnosed with anything because I lost all faith in the medical realm because they told me I was going to have to live like this for the rest of my life and that I wasn't expect I wasn't accepting that answer. And so I decided to dig a little deeper. And so it came down to nutrition for me. And I always thought that I was a healthy eater. I've always been athletic. I've always done things, you know, um, can't get me to sit still. Yeah. And so, and I have multiple hobbies. It's not just one, multiple. And so, you know, I, I always thought I help, ate healthy. And then when I really started diving deep into really what was going on and with inflammation, and that's kind of a big word now, and that encompasses a lot of things. Mm -hmm. When I really started digging into that, that's basically what was going on with me was inflammation. And it was all about removing that inflammation. And so I like to call myself the inflammation guru, but that doesn't really stick with a lot of people. So I mean, that doesn't sound that great. Like, oh, I'm the inflammation guru. But when you tell somebody, you know, I remove inflammation, they're like, well, I don't have that. But everybody does because inflammation shows up as headaches. It shows up as joint pain. It shows up as digestive issue problems. And it shows up, you know, like cancer. So all of that, those wide, that wide spectrum is inflammation. Yeah. So, you know, it's all about removing the foods that cause inflammation. And that's what I do. And, and a lot of it, it's different. Because one thing that could be food for me could be poison for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, everybody's different. Yeah. And everybody reacts differently. So um, that's how I fell upon being a nutrition coach. Because I, in, in school, when I was in college, um, when I went for exercise science, it was all about... Um, you know, a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And even at that young age, I knew it wasn't a one-size-fits-all because of everything that I was going through. So I was just kind of put it off. And I love nutrition. I've always loved nutrition. And I was like, well, that's not for me. That's not, I'm not, you know, go by the book kind of person. <laughs> so I was like, I don't like all this red tape. I don't want to do it. So I just kind of put it off until probably about, it was two, three years ago when I fell upon the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and we call it IIN for short. And um, it was all about, you know, bio, everybody's different, bioindividuality, and that really spoke to me. And so I decided to take that to heal myself. 
and to heal deeper because it's, it's all about um, layers and it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper with the healing. And so I decided to do that. And in the midst of doing that, I realized how much I loved it and it was my passion. And I was like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do. And so I approached my husband and said, this is what I want to do. I want to help people who thought that there was no hope for them and get them to feeling well. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And so it's been a whirlwind ever since. And I, you know, I work with um, this amazing group of women. It's like a collaborative center where we work under an affiliate name for all individual companies and working under one roof, which is awesome. And I've never worked with a more powerful group of women than I am now. And we're all integrative practitioners. Mm -hmm. So, um, and working with them, I work with a lot of their patients and their clients. And so I work with people who have Lyme. I work with people who have, you know, like, um, like the big words that are out now, like SIBO, that's the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I work with people with that. I work with people that have candida. Um, I work with people who have attention deficit, you know, and so all of these disorders really come down to inflammation. So that's what it really is, is I start removing inflammation. And what the way I do it is unique because a lot of the times when you go to like these dietitians and these nutritionists, they'll give you a list and they'll say, here's a list of things for you to eat. Here's a list of things for you to avoid. Have at it. Go on your own. And maybe they'll check in with you a month or two down the road and see how you're doing. What I do is I meet with people every other week and I keep on top of them. But we work with one meal at a time mm-hmm. and one item at a time. Yeah. And that's how we figure out what works for people. Because like I said in the beginning, it's not the same. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And if anybody approaches you with nutrition that way, I'd say run in the other direction because it's not that case. You know, so even if we look at, you know, the dietary theories that are out there, you know, this, the big one now is ketogenic. You know, ketogenic yeah. is not the same for everybody. I can't tell you how many people come to me. I work with a lot of athletes too, a lot of CrossFitters. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it totally wrong, you know, and it's for them. It's not wrong in the aspect of what's out there and and following the guidelines for ketogenic but it's wrong for their body yeah and so teaching them how to listen to their bodies and um, even if we're removing inflammation learning how to listen to your body's giving you those signals because when we eat we shouldn't feel our food at all mm-hmm. and when you eat if you feel bloated or gassy okay well that's your body telling you you know, it doesn't like something that you're eating and that it doesn't have the enzymes to break it down. So basically I go through all that with them by, you know, paying attention to what they're eating. And the way I keep up on that is I see them every other week. And so we make little, I call it homework, but it's just suggestions and they go away and they try it for two weeks and then they come back to me and they're like, okay, this worked or, you know, I really didn't like it. Can we find a different way? And I, I always have multiple tools in my belt to show them how to get to the goals that they need to get to. Um, But I always approach them with the ones that work faster for most people, the ones I see that work the best for most people. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fit their lifestyle. So that's when they come back to me and they report and it's like, you know what, Kate, that didn't work that, or I don't want to do that. That's not something I want to keep in my life because it's all about a lifestyle change. It's not a quick fix. So, um, you know, and so I, I, I love the, the back and forth, the communication. If they're not open with me, I can't help them, obviously. So I really encourage them talking to me about the experiences that they have and, you know, what they're going through. And it depends on how their bodies react is when I know which direction to take. And also um, for them to say, you know, like that, that doesn't fit my lifestyle. I don't want to do that. And that's okay because I have other ways for them to still reach the same goal, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, 
because I hear that a lot when mm-hmm. people, what is it? They say they have to change the lifestyle. Yeah. And I think people like they they throw that around a lot, but there's a lot that goes into that because you're talking mm-hmm. about years or decades worth of you know conditioning and programming, and like I said, I think it's thrown around a lot with people, people even realizing what that means. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. And that's that's why uh, when I say I work with people for a long, like 12 sessions, mm-hmm. when we do that, it's because it takes that long for us to even plant a new seed and a new habit. And so you're right. You know, lifestyle change, people throw that around all the time. So when we work together, it is a lifestyle change because we're doing things slowly. So if I were to, like I said in the beginning, throw you a list of foods to eat and to avoid, that might be true probably for a couple months, maybe even a year. But eventually that willpower is going to break down and you're going to start eating things again, going back to your old way of eating. Mm -hmm. When we do it this way, we're creating new habits and new lifestyle, right? Because lifestyle and habits are kind of the same thing when we look at it that way. So we look at new ways of like um, replacing certain foods or learning how to food prep, learning how to, you know, um, or meal plan first and then food prep. It's all about baby steps Mm -hmm. and getting to where you need to be. And that looks different for everybody. Some people come to me and they're already food prepping and food planning and they're already doing all that stuff, but they're still eating the things that are causing issues for their body. So we just have to really delve into that. Um, Some people come to me have no idea about any kind of nutrition. They think because it comes from Whole Foods, it's healthy, you know, and even in that store, there's still things in there that are not healthy. So it's, you know, also educating them along the way, which is really cool. I love having that, that vast difference of people that I work with. So I have people that are so on top of it and then people that are just starting and it's awesome. Um, and, and that's what I love to do is the education portion. So I'll come, you'll come in and I'll talk like 10, 15 minutes of education for you and why we're doing what we're doing and what it does to your body physiologically. And then you have that knowledge to either eat that, that item or not, you know, Mm. and that's what it really comes down to is a choice. And I'm not here twisting your arm and telling you, you have to do something. (laughs) I'm educating you to make that decision if that's what you want to do. Um, so for instance, let's say grains, that's a big one that is huge inflammatory food grains. So that's where I start. I start working with people on that. That consumes most of our our daily intake, right? So mm-hmm. we've been told that we need to have at least six to eight servings a day. And so I start there. That's the hardest thing for us to take out. And um, some people don't want to take it out fully, and that's okay because that's their choice. But it's all about reducing inflammation. So we reduce the amount of grains that they're eating. Yeah. So that's what I mean by a lifestyle change too because that's huge. They're used to eating, you know, every meal that they eat, they have to have a grain. But now we're taking it down to just one meal and we're having a small portion. So that's definitely a lifestyle change. Yeah. And it has to be sustainable to make it a lifestyle change. Yeah. Hmm. That was a long answer. Oh, no, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's funny because you're talking about, you know, shrinking grains. And I, you know, from my family, because half my family is Cuban, the other half is like French Italian. Mm -hmm. So they love their pastas and stuff. So like the entire meal is like, pasta and I'm like maybe let's you know because the fat dude doesn't really need you know (laughs) well it's great (laughs) that's so funny well a lot of people will say to me they're like well what about you know Italy and like you said you've got Mm -hmm. some and and China because they eat a lot in Japanese too right because they eat a lot of rice Mm -hmm. supposedly they don't eat the amount that we eat yeah 
it's so much smaller. The portion sizes are smaller. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, you go, I, I don't know how many restaurants you go into, and I'm like, yeah, just give me, like, you know, fettuccine Alfredo, and it's, like, this giant bowl. <laughs> And, like, I didn't ask for a pound of this. Yeah. And it, that could feed you, like, probably for a week and a half, right? Yeah. If the, if the portion sizes that we're supposed to eat are nowhere near what we eat, you yeah. know, and what they give us. And, and the restaurants definitely are guilty of that. And anywhere we go, I mean, you think about even meat, for instance, you know, four to six ounces. But usually you get, you know, like a 12 to 16 ounce. You know, yeah. You know, it's just they definitely have over overdone it I guess is the best way to say that that's why when we go to these restaurants that are high end and you're paying a pretty penny to have you know like a little tiny piece of steak I mean that's the portion size we're supposed to have yeah you know so they're getting it right yeah but who wants to pay that you know yeah fifty dollars for a little steak (laughs) when you can go to like red robin and get like a burger for 10 bucks you know exactly and they make it convenient for us to not eat healthy yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's a whole conversation oh, yeah. that can be had right there about the food industry. Don't get um, me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> How much time do we have? Yeah, and in a way I get it, but in a way, you know, you're it's like I said, it's just it sets us up for a very bad life, and mm-hmm. I feel bad when I see children who are overweight because mm-hmm. um, they don't even know, like, it takes, you know, say for myself, when I went into the military, I started learning better things about eating and, you yeah. know, diet and all that stuff. The kids have no idea. And, you know, I see children all the time who are, like, very overweight and not yeah. even just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I almost feel bad because I'm like, parents didn't even give you a chance. <laughs> they don't. And, you know, if you look at the statistics not too long ago, and I'm going to get these wrong, so don't. Don't take my word for this, but they're pretty similar. (laughs) But if you look back in, you know, like in the 70s, if you think about it, it was very rare that a child had type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Now, um, right up to 2008, it was like one in four had type 2 diabetes. And now, even now in current state, I think it's like one one in one in two, I think, because back in 2008 it was one in four. Now it's like one in two. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, too, when you... It's now called type 2 diabetes. It used to be called adult onset. And so now the kids are getting it. And yeah. and I know um, what's really shocking to me is if you look at the American population, they say like 70% of them are obese and have diabetes. Mm-hmm. 40% of that 70% is children. Yeah. And, you know, you in these workshops that I give, I do a lot of nutrition workshops, and it talks about, you know, like the top seven, I talk about the top seven causes of death. And a lot of the responses that I get from people in my workshops, well, because we're living longer. But if you actually dig deep and look at the studies, and, and the World Health Organization does a lot of these these studies, and who's the healthiest nation, and all, we're not even in the top 30. And we should be, because we have the best health care, apparently, right? So when you look at that, and, and everyone's like, well, we're living longer, but if you dig deeper, it's in the 30s. And the 50s is where all these disease states are happening. So we're talking about cancer, and we're talking about heart disease, we're talking about Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. All of these diseases are growing between 30 and 50. Yeah. Not because we're living longer. That is not because we're living longer. So you know, and when you got to start digging into those facts and realize it's not it's not the case. And then so when we look at that stuff, it's like okay, our genes have been the same for hundreds of thousands of years. 
The only thing that's changing exponentially is the disease states. So why is that? It's definitely not our genes. So why are all these scientists looking at our genes? It's not genes. What's changing is our environment. It's our food, it's our pollution, it's all the stuff that we come in contact with. Mm-hmm. So environment not only means, you know, like the air and the stuff we put on our skin, it also means our food. So all of that stuff plays into effect when it comes to environment. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's pretty scary when we look at it that way and people are like, well, you know, why are we looking at genes? It's not genes. That's the problem. You know, one of the things that I love talking about is the Great Lakes and you're probably about the same age as me. You might remember this, but it was back in the 70s when the Great Lakes, um, there was a lot of pollution. The fish were, sh- were washing up on shore with tumors and the birds were eating them. Vaguely, yeah. Okay. And then when they the birds were laying eggs, their their eggs are very brittle and they mm-hmm. were actually worried about the viability of these, these birds. And so what they did is they went in and they took care of all the chemical companies around the water. Mm-hmm. So if we were to look at that as human beings, okay, and human beings washing up on shore with tumors and all that, you know, instead what we are doing is we're putting pink ribbons on people and we are, you know, raising awareness and looking at the genes. What they did is they just cleaned up the environment for these these fish and these birds. And now the bir- birds have, they didn't even become extinct. They're actually really thriving and well. And so when we look at it from that aspect environmentally, and then when we relate it to humans, it becomes more of an emotional discussion. Because when you think about cancer, we've all been touched by cancer, whether it's someone that we love near and dear or a friend or ourselves, right? So when we look at it, it's not a scientific discussion anymore. It's a, it's a very emotional discussion. But it's not any different than what happened with the fish. We just need to clean up our environment. Mm-hmm. So most of the cancer that's out there can be controlled through our environment and through the things that we eat and through the things that we come in contact with. And so, you know, we, are, we have more control over our health than we're led to believe. And I think that we, that's my mission is to let people know that. And it's amazing the stuff that I see in my practice and the things that people, they call miracles, you know, and things that they've, they've miraculously been healed by. And it's really the effort that they put into the suggestions that I give them. It's nothing that I've done. It's all the work that they've done. And it's amazing what nutrition can do and how much control of your health you can do with nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. You're right. Like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, absolutely. Like the way we eat is awful. I can completely attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> I made large gent. And, uh, you know, just it's from quality, quantity, you name it, you know, uh, they just, we eat awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's growing everywhere because we can make so much food. Um, that you know it's way more than we need mm-hmm. like it's just ugh, people are just eating it yeah <laughs> yeah and it's um there's an amazing book out there and i don't know if you've ever read it. it's called salt sugar fat and michael no. moss wrote it and it's all about what the food industry has done to our food yeah and the sad part that most people don't even realize is that philip morris the people that owned all the cigarette companies or was one of the largest cigarette companies now owns a lot of our food companies and that was back in the, I want to say late 70s, early 80s when they did that. And so they own, you know, like these big companies like, um, I don't know, Nabisco and Kraft and all that. If I'm not sure exactly which companies they own, but big ones like that is what they own. And if you remember, they told us that tobacco didn't cause cancer. Now we know it does. But now they're telling us that sugar doesn't cause cancer. 
which in fact it does. And so when we dig deeper and we look at this at a cellular level, you know, it's, um, it's amazing like sugar cells, uh, cancer cells, excuse me, feed off in sugar. If you go to get a PET scan done, the liquid that you drink is all sugar and it lights up the cancer cells because that's what the cancer cells are attracted to. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a normal cell, they, it needs oxygen. Right, so when we when we eat sugar, we're feeding the bad cells, right? And so these food companies were smart. Like there's hidden sugar in everything. There's hidden grains and everything. You know, like that's why there's a lot of, you know, um, gluten-free stuff going on now. You know, because of what we've done to our grain supply. I mean, and that's a whole other interview in of itself. I mean, I could talk for hours on that and what they've done. So. The food companies made it so that it's addicting for us. In this book, they talk about how they hire young adults to find our bliss point. And our bliss point is where it becomes addictive for us. Mm -hmm. So they hire these people to find, of these young adults, to find where that bliss point is. Because too much sugar will turn us off and then too little won't get us to come back. It has to be just the right amount. Yeah. So that's what they do in, in, in our food industry. And that's why it's a very... Uh, important for us to start learning how to make stuff on our own mm -hmm. and cooking from scratch and doing our own stuff yeah. and that's comes down to time and that's one of the biggest you know um, objections that I hear oh I don't have the time I don't have the time yeah but um, if you make the time and make it a priority you find the time it yeah. becomes a habit it becomes a lifestyle change right? yeah. yeah yeah and it's actually this conversation is one I've had a few times with my brother uh, okay, so <laughs> fun backstory. He was into some pretty heavy drugs and okay. you know, went through the rehab and all that stuff. And one day, in our like we, little spiffs we had, we got into an argument. We was talking about I don't know what it's like because you know all I have is that I'm fat. <laughs> and so we got into this this conversation about sugar mm. and how. Yeah, I think, I forget if they've done studies, but I'm pretty sure they've done studies showing it's just as bad as a heroin. Oh, definitely. Like, it's just as addictive, and it's it's almost as dangerous. It just probably won't kill you at, on the spot, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> it's a slow death. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, yeah, like you said, it's slow. So mm -hmm. we had that argument once, and I think that's a conversation more people need to have is, yes, sugar is socially acceptable, mm -hmm. But it's not any less addictive than heroin. No, it definitely isn't. <laughs> yeah. There is, um, and that's one of the workshops that I focus on. And it's funny, I have a brain scan of someone who has had cocaine and someone who's had sugar. Yeah. And they have done multiple studies that show that rats will go, that are addicted to cocaine will go over sugar eight times out of ten will go to sugar over cocaine. Yeah. So it is more addicting. And if you look at the the brain scans that I have, the sugar is more excited than the cocaine slide, which is kind of interesting because mm -hmm. I put them side by side. And it's funny because I always say this is your brain on drugs. Yeah. Every time I put it, that joke never gets old. Because <laughs> it's like that. Remember the the breaking the uh, the egg that yeah. commercial. I was like, this is your this is your brain on drugs because it is. It's Sugar is a drug. It's addicting. Yeah. And you're so right. We do need to have that discussion more and more. Mm -hmm. um, because if, if we have, and it's not just sugar. Um, this, is, this is a crazy fact, too. So what an average person has, one person over a year, has 157 pounds of sugar. 
That's mm -hmm. just sugar. That's not your grains that you yeah. eat. Okay. So that relates to if you were to put it in the five pound bag aspect, you have one five pound bag every 10 days. That's what Americans are eating. That's scary. When you see the actual picture, and I show that at my workshop, I wish I had a camera on everybody's face because it's so shocking when you see it instead of just hearing the number. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's, it's, it's eye-opening. We need to know because wherever there is sugar, we release insulin. Wherever there's insulin, there's inflammation. Insulin is our fat storage vehicle. So the whole idea is to go through life and to release the least amount of insulin as possible. Hmm. And, and what releases that is sugar, and it doesn't matter what kind of sugar it is, right down to fruits, to vegetables, <laughs> to you know your regular chocolate and candy. You know, So your body reacts to sugar no matter what, even the fake sugar, because it tricks it into thinking that it has sugar. So it really still releases insulin. So no matter what, sugar is sugar is sugar. Yeah. So an, an average adult male should have 30 grams of sugar a day. An adult female should have 25 grams a day. So when I work with athletes, they're like, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. And we really dig into what they're having. They're having 300 grams of sugar a day. Yeah. That's so far off in what we're supposed to be having. And a lot of people don't know how to find that hidden sugar. And that's what I love to teach people, especially those athletes, because they're already causing inflammation by working out hard. That's what happens. That's what that soreness is that you get after you work out. Yeah. You're tearing muscles, and that's great. That's a good soreness and a good inflammation to have, but in moderation. If the rest of your body is you know, healing properly and you're feeding it the proper nutrition, then that's okay to have that inflammation. Yeah. But if you're having the other inflammation on top of that inflammation, you're not giving your body that break. And that's what, you know, that's what we need to understand and to show and talk about with all these athletes too and not just athletes everybody should have this awareness yeah yeah hmm. yeah it's interesting and I, I as you know i could talk for hours about this and because <laughs> inflammation shows up in so many different ways yeah. and in so many different items cause inflammation for certain people like this one gentleman i worked with who'd have thought kale would have given him <laughs> you know like who thinks kale would do that but this gentleman did get inflammation from kale and, um, and it was raw kale, so we had to just have him cook it until we healed his gut. And it's all about just healing your gut. And in that in of itself is a whole other, you know, yeah. another discussion too. Yeah, you know? So nutrition isn't, um, it's, not, it's not easy. We're just touching the surface of yeah. nutrition and what that does for our body. And, you know, and I, I see it a lot in my office. And it's really cool when I have... You know, I work with someone as little as six, and I've worked with someone as old as 97, you know, and, and then everybody in between. And when I have this, this 60-year-old that comes into me, and she said, this is the best my blood work has ever looked, even in my 20s. It's better than when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And we've only been working together for two months. I mean, that's how quick our body responds internally. Yeah. Obviously, it takes some time for the outside to catch up, but it's really about being healthy on the inside first, and then the weight loss is a side effect, you know, and that's how we, I like to have people understand. I do help with weight loss, but that's, it's about getting healthy and removing inflammation. Yeah. That's the first and foremost, because if, if you don't do that, it's just going to keep coming back, and it's just going to keep coming back even more. You hear that all the time, the yo-yo diets, you know, you're yeah. like, I'm going to starve myself so I can lose the weight. It works for a short period of time, but then all of a sudden you start eating again, you gain that back and then some, and, you know, that, that's not healthy. So for me, it's like the slow, it's like the tortoise and the hare. Do it slowly, 
do a lifestyle change, mm -hmm. and then you're going to benefit for, for forever, not this yo-yo dieting yeah. that is going on. So Cool. Yeah. I like it. Thanks. So people that want to reach out, learn some more, how they get in touch with you. Yeah. So I have, um, I'm on all social media um, pages, but I, I do have my website. It's k8forwellness.com, and that's the letter K, the number eight, the number four, wellness.com. And I'm also on Facebook under k8forwellness.com. Um, K8 for Wellness, and I also um, am on Instagram, K8 for Wellness, and then I also have a podcast as well, and it's K8 for Wellness podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show and Thanks. talking about something that, you know, I may not look at because, I, again, I suffer the same problems as everyone else, but everybody has it. This is an important conversation that people need to be having, as I said. Yeah. So, because it needs to be addressed. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, we're going to have the last word from our sponsors, and everyone have a great day. That's it for today, everyone, but it doesn't have to end there. Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or iHeartRadio to get more from New Hampshire's top entrepreneurs.